back to the bin. Hey everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro and I am not quite flying solo tonight, but Bill and Scott are not with me and instead I've brought in my buddy Ian Levenstein of the hey. Comic Timing Podcast. Hey Paul, how you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. It's uh, it's a little muggy out, but uh, it's it's cold at least, so it's nice and comfy in my room for once. Well, everybody's got me terrified right now because they're saying, <laughs> oh, this is going to be, uh, what you call it? Hurricane Sandy all over again. Oh, boy. This weekend. So I was just outside, you know, after dinner tonight, basically battening down the hatches, taking in all the, uh, all the loose things, taking down the hanging plants, you know, yeah. putting all, all my, you know, taking the umbrella out of my uh, backyard table. Oh, boy. You know, all, all of that just to kind of get myself prepped for it and. Hopefully it's a false alarm and you know nothing like that happens. But are you in there. Southern Jersey? I forget. I'm sorry. Are you? Are, where, where are you again? Uh, I'm in Long Island. You're in Long Island. Okay. Yeah. Because because they were saying mostly it would just be Southern Jersey that gets hit with uh, a little bit of uh, of New York, but not much. So hopefully we'll wind out uh, getting getting out without any real scratches. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping, but uh, you know I don't want to take any chances. So I figured you know every once in a while you get that one storm. That that just kind of wreaks havoc with my backyard. So, <laughs> well, I'll be I'll be at uh, uh, Bill English and uh, and Jessica's uh, uh, wedding this uh, this weekend. Uh, that you you've, you've met Bill once or twice, I assume. Uh, I, I don't just, think I have. Oh, you haven't? Okay. Well, he, he's he's extended Comic Geek Speak family. Uh, uh, he. He he, uh, he went to a few of the super shows, and uh, that's how we got to know each other. But uh, he's, he's he always wanders around New York Comic Con, but not this year because uh, he'll be on his honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where's that wedding going to be? Uh, that's going to be in uh, the New Brunswick area. So hopefully that'll wind up mostly unscathed on on Saturday. And if we just have so. drizzle, we'll live. I hope but, so. I'll wish wish for good weather. If you guys are at least you know manageable. Yeah. Uh, tell me as about as it. we record this now, this is going to end up being posted. The first week in November, because okay. as, as we record this, we're starting Horror Month on Back to the Bins. And we'll oh, be nice. doing uh, some con- consecutive horror books uh, for, for the five Saturdays uh, of October. Mm-hmm. So then the first week in November, this will be posted. But as we record it, we're a week shy of New York Comic Con. Yep. And that's where Ian and I first met each other and have had a chance a few times to, to stop and talk a little bit. And uh, we're both Brooklyn boys, uh, me a little bit earlier than him, but uh, still have the same roots. I been, I, yep, and been here 31 years now, uh, minus like the six months I was living in on the West Coast. So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably catching up there slowly, but surely the amount of time that you were in uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, well, let's see. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, because I made it 34 years before yep. I left. So you're, you're, you're right up on the edge of it. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think you have any intention in of leaving, years. do you? Not that I not that I know of, but you never know where the where the uh, job may may lie, and you never know where uh, where life's going to take you. So who that, knows? That is very true. Yep. <sighs> but but it's nice it's nice it's nice to it's nice to sit down and talk to you, man. Because uh, New York New York Comic Con is a very very busy place, and who knows if we'll wind up running into each other on Thursday. Yeah, well, I'll be keeping my eyes open, you know, because I'm always looking for for friendly faces. So. Oh sure. Yeah. You know, I'll be looking for you. I'll be looking for the eleven o'clock comics guys. I think uh, some of the comic Eastbeat guys will be there. Uh, not all of them, but uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm hoping to run into Murd. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if Chris Eberle's coming because I'm guessing he's probably working. Yeah, I think he is. Uh, from from the group, I'm pretty sure only Pants and Murder are going to be there, but don't even quote me on that because they haven't really talked about it much on the show lately, so I don't know. And I'm offhand, I can't think of anybody else that I'm going to be going out of my way looking for. But again, the, the day that I'm there, I'll be there uh, with a brood. So <laughs> they're not, they're not going to give me a whole lot of time to sit and shoot the breeze anyway. Yeah, well, the uh, the thing I'm looking forward to uh, the most about uh, New York Comic Con uh, is actually uh, tied into the book that I chose. So uh, I'll, I'll, I can uh, talk about that a little bit when we get when we get into the uh, the main thick of things here. I know because uh, we're going to be there on Thursday. Uh, my girlfriend's son is a big fan of Impractical Jokers, mm-hmm. and that group is supposed to be there. I don't know if they're doing a panel or if they're just going to be on the floor. That's the only thing I got to figure out. I, I I am half tempted on Saturday at four fifteen. Nickelodeon is holding a all that reunion panel, and me being the age that I am, uh, I grew up on on you know nineties Nickelodeon, and mm-hmm. that is absolutely right up my alley. Um, I have a feeling it would be somewhat similar to the panel that I went to a few years ago, where Dan DiDio was on it, and it was the at the time I think the tenth anniversary of reboot. And uh, he wound up just having a whole tell-all panel about the the crazy stuff he used to uh, get up to in in Canada with the with the writers' room for for reboot, and that was a lot of fun. That sounds cool. My my experience with the panels are it's very hit and miss because if if it's a uh, you know a hot topic of any sort, mm-hmm. the lines are prohibitive, and I don't want to have to wait two hours to get into an hour long panel. Oh sure, because it's just burning away too much of my day. So. The only ones you can, you know, I've found the only ones you can get into without, you know, having to wait online for any extended period of time are the more unheralded ones. And then, you know, sometimes they're great and sometimes they're not so great. Well, what, what one thing that I noticed from, from last year, at least, is I don't know if they're going to do this the same way this year, but there's actually multiple, quote unquote, main stages. And the one panel that I went to in the second main stage last year was actually the American Dad panel. And we got to watch the first episode of the TBS season of American Dad. And then there was a panel afterwards and Patrick Stewart wound up on that panel. And it was a lot of fun. And we didn't even have to wait. There was there was no like real line uh, beforehand. Like we got there maybe 20 minutes before the panel started and got great seats inside the panel. So you're right. It is absolutely hit and miss as to, uh, you know, what it is. But more than likely, if it's something you're interested in. Um, as long as you, as long as it's not like one of the huge ones, like as long as it's not like a Walking Dead panel or something like that, because please get there like a year beforehand <laughs> to, to, get a, to get on the line for that. But, That's exactly uh, the panel I was thinking of when we were saying about like ones that I just couldn't deal with waiting that long for. Oh, absolutely. And this year it's a ticketed event. It's at Madison Square Garden. No joke. Really? They're, they're doing the premiere of Walking Dead at Madison Square Garden this year um, in association with New York Comic Con and Super Week. Um, oh, I hadn't even heard that. Yeah, I, I. The only reason I knew about it is because they were actually giving out tickets to those who attended the like one of those New York Comic Con parties that happened the uh, uh, last week, and mm. I am not going anywhere near that. I, I might try the Adventure Time panel at the Hammerstein Ballroom on Friday, but that's as close as I'm going to come to you know waiting on a long ass line to get into something. I'm thinking Adventure Time won't be too crazy. I mean, there'll be a line. Oh yeah. yeah. But I don't think it's yeah, going to be. And it's early in the morning. Too. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not thinking it's you know going to compete with Walking Dead. 
Oh no, of course not. It's just uh, it's more like, and for that matter, since it's at the Hammerstein, uh, it, who knows how many people are going to make the walk over uh, for that. But I'm thinking it's it's a I think it's a eleven fifteen in the morning or something like that. So worst comes to worst, if I don't get in, I just walk over to the Javits and start my day. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the ones that'll be crazy. You know, Walking Dead. We already said if there's anything on any of the uh, the upcoming movies. They say there's going to be a Batman movie announcement coming soon, and I would not be surprised if that happens at New York Comic Con. Then, and the the other things that I think would just be you know prohibitive as far as the line is probably you know I, I haven't even looked at the panel schedule. I'm just making an assumption that there would be these uh, that you know if Marvel has a you know what's coming up soon panel uh, right. and same yeah. for DC. Those right. are the ones I'm thinking the lines would be ridiculous. And then if there's any real hot creators or who are having a panel. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, like, I, I'm sure if there's another like last year, the, the big draw was the Fiona Staples uh, uh, creator spotlight panel, which uh, which had a long, long line. And, you know, Saga is fantastic, so I can understand why. But, uh, yeah, any any creator that doesn't normally show up at New York Comic Con is going to have a pretty decent line. And then last, last year I went down to the panel area and I was just kind of checking out to see what was going on. And uh, Todd McFarlane was down there having an impromptu uh Kind of kind of press conference thing. He was just standing there <laughs> talking, and the people were so crowded around him that I was kind of surprised he wasn't freaking out and you know pushing people away from him because he didn't have like an inch to himself, and they were surrounding him you know totally three hundred sixty degrees. You know, wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, well, that's uh, at in comparison, uh, I went to uh, a Big Apple Con once at the uh, at the Penn Plaza Hotel, and it was. Rob Liefeld was there and you could have like gone up to talk to him for 30 minutes because there was nobody there. They were they were in the basement of the Penn Plaza and you could have heard crickets chirp. It was the saddest thing. I remember I remember when you went to that because I remember afterwards there was another one and I was thinking about going to it and I threw something up on Facebook, you know, anybody familiar with this? And yep. basically you told you sent me a yeah, don't go to it. It's not worth it. <laughs> And, and it's absolutely not. I, I'm pretty sure Wizard has just straight up stopped the Big Apple shows at this point because uh, at, at, with Special Edition NYC uh, existing now, uh, Reed has just taken over the New York space, and there's no reason for small shows like that anymore. There's uh, you know there's plenty of space to go around for like the ones outside of New York proper, like you know the ones in New Jersey or Long Island or so on and so forth. But Big Apple has no place anymore. No, there's there's going to be a I, I guess it's a small one. Uh, over at the uh, resorts, you know, over by Aqueduct, mm-hmm. uh, the beginning of December called WinterCon. Oh, okay. And I'm I'm, I'm thinking about going there. I'm, I'm not even 100 percent sure on that one right now. But uh, you know, there's some decent sized names there. I know I saw Billy Tucci's going to be there. Neil Adams is going to be there. Uh, Rich Buckler is going to be there. Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm I'm thinking about it. Depends on what I end up doing that weekend. But I've been meaning to check out resorts anyway. So it might turn out to be convenient to just do both. I'm I'm going to uh, Atlantic City for the first time uh, next year because uh, Anime Next, the uh, the anime convention that I go to every year, is moving out to the uh, the uh, Atlantic City Convention Center where uh, you know Atlantic City Comic Con was was held. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean I'm I'm going to give that a go. We're going to go there a, a full day early. That way I can just you know explore a little bit and you know go to my first casino because I've yet to actually do that. I don't think I'm going to wind up gambling much, but I might gamble a smidge. You've never been to a casino. Never been to a casino. No, just oh, uh, wow. 
I know. I mean, I'd even like to go to Vegas at some point, but uh, it'll be it'll be nice to finally go to Atlantic City, especially now that they're in some ways, quote unquote, Disneyfying it. They're trying to make it family friendly since uh, the whole Atlantic City scene has sort of been dwindling the past couple of years. So they're trying to open it up and be like, hey, bring the whole family. We promise there's at least one thing to do for 18 or under. Yeah, I was last in Atlantic City two summers ago or last, okay. not this past summer, the summer before. Uh and yeah, it was kind of sad. It was, you know, it was just before, uh, was it the Revel Casino? Mm-hmm. Before, just before they had shut down. Yeah. And it was like the the casino and the hotel were really nice. Yeah. Which it amazed me that that it shut down, and then they've just they've recently reopened it, and uh, that's what I would recommend if you were going there because it it's probably the newest building on the Strip. Okay. So you know, some of the other ones are a little run down. Yeah, we're going. We're we're staying at the Bally's just because it's walking distance from the convention center. But uh, I'll I'll wind up checking out. I mean, I'm sure we're going to wind up walking the boardwalk in one way or the other while we're there, just to you know check out everything that's uh, that's around. But uh, I'll certainly try to add that to the list of places to check out. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's definitely some nice things. You know, we were there for two days, and you know, we walked the the boardwalk and checked out all the little things going on. Because I enjoy being in a casino, but I'm not wealthy, so. <laughs> You know, yeah, I can only afford to stay there so long unless I, you know, go on a real winning streak. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I like I said, I mean, I'm I might go with like the free chips that they give me, and maybe you know, spend like twenty or thirty other than that. But uh, I I highly doubt I'm going to be doing much uh, high stakes gambling. I I barely even do fantasy football. I doubt I'm going to wind up doing uh, much on the uh, whole you know craps table or whatnot. I, I mean, I enjoy sitting at a blackjack table. You know, again, if I, if I have the cash to do it, right? And yeah. uh, I used to enjoy playing poker. Then, uh, then when Texas Hold'em became all the rage, mm-hmm. it stopped being as much fun. <laughs> see, see the, uh, the the poker that I play the most, and I haven't played it in a while. There's actually a PlayStation game that uh, Telltale came out with, uh, with a whole bunch of different uh, uh, like cartoon characters and uh, video game characters. And Brock Sampson from the Venture Brothers is uh, is one of the other uh, players uh, that I wind up playing uh, every now and then on the uh, PlayStation Network and. That's that's where I have played the most poker in my life, sadly. <laughs> yeah, I guess a uh, you know, sign of a uh, you know of, of wasted youth. But I, I've played <laughs> I've played poker with friends for since since I was in high school. Yeah, well, hey, you should you should you should uh, try uh, hooking up a game with pants at some point because uh, man, he 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 well, won it uh, at at the Connecticut Comic Con. I saw he yeah he yeah it. I heard him talking about that that he played and and did really well. Yeah. I've only played in a casino tournament once mm-hmm. and i felt very very pressured you, you watch it on tv and it's like they sit there and they take their time and they're looking at the people and they're you know kind of trying to see if they, if they can you know pick something up from the way they're looking or whatever you know it was nothing like that and when it came to my turn so what are you doing what are you doing come on let's go let's go <laughs> it's like wait wait i'm trying to decide here yeah they, I, I guess they were trying to get out of there as fast as possible yeah so it, whatever <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, comic books. Oh yeah, right that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, uh, and, you know, I don't know how how much you've listened to of our show, but we have uh, in the past. It seems like the two most popular series that have come up are Marvel Team Up and Brave and the Bold. Hmm, okay. So we've we've pretty much put a moratorium on those, but as a special guest, I've list, lifted the moratorium for you. All right, that sounds good to me. <laughs> And uh, our, our normal procedure is we go to the older book first, or actually the normal procedure is we do Marvel, DC, Independent, and we do them in those order. Right. In that order. But uh, again, 
uh, we both have Marvel books, so then we usually do the older one first. But as my guest, I'd ask, would you prefer to do your book first or mine? Hmm. Uh, you know what? Let's let's go older first because I, I think it would be interesting to go from uh, where where these Marvel team up books uh, started out and where they wound up. All right. Yeah, that'll be an interesting perspective on it. So I picked Marvel Two and One Number Fifty Three which is going to have Scott, Scott Gardner saying, you son of a bitch. Because <laughs> this is the first issue of the Project Pegasus saga, and it's from July of 1979. It had a cover price of 40 cents, and it featured The Thing and Quasar. The cover is by John Byrne and Joe Sinnott, and it shows The Thing throwing a punch at Quasar while Quasar is projecting some type of energy from the bands on his wrists that's enveloping The Thing. And the cover tells us, at last, the saga of Project Pegasus. And there's also a small inset at the bottom right that says, plus, the mystery of Wondar. And if you're not familiar with this, Wondar is an alien who first appeared, I believe it was in issue number two of Marvel 2-in-1. So he kind of carried through the whole thing. And uh, if anybody's familiar with old science fiction movies, there was a movie called The Mind of Mr. Soames that uh, starred uh, General Zod <laughs> and, uh, or, or Terrence Stamp, whoever it may have been. He goes by either name. And, and he, play, he played a grown man who had basically been in a coma his whole life. And then they did some sort of surgery to repair his brain and wake him up. So he was a grown man who had the brain of a child because he never was awake to learn everything. And I've always found Wondar to be sim- similar to that because he was very, very simple. And, and basically was a child in a grown man's body with super strength. And the thing kind of became his uh, his keeper over the course of this series. And uh, one dog would call him Unka Ben. And, and <laughs> at some point he became a, a ward at Project Pegasus. So Interesting. That, yeah. that should probably give you enough background into his character for this. So, so Franklin's not the only one to uh, to have an Unka Ben. Exactly. And and there was it was a he's also. Uh, I think it was Namorita was also in that issue and, and kind of had a kinship with Wondar. So the story that we're doing today is titled The Inner War, and it's written by Mark Grunewald and Ralph Macchio, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Joe Sinnott. And I think that's a kind of a, an unusual combo. I don't think that's one that got together very often, Byrne and Sinnott. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the, the the art in this is is very different than the standard uh, John Byrne art that, that I'm, I'm used to seeing on, on Marvel Comics. Uh, and I actually kind of like it for, for how, how different it is, which I'm sure that if John Byrne were to hear me say that, he'd probably say, you know, sit it, ruin my art or something like that, <laughs> because he's, a, he's an old curmudgeon. But I, I, I kind of like the change in the uh, in the line style here. Yeah, we had we had a couple of weeks ago where we, we did the uh, the introduction of Scott Lang. Which mm-hmm. was burn as inked by, uh, I think it was, yeah. Well, I don't try to remember. I think it was inked by Bob Layton. Okay. And uh, it came out that that Byrne had bad mouthed Layton, who I think is one of like the premier inkers in comics. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it goes to show you. I guess uh, you know everybody's got their own their own way of looking at it, and certainly I think curmudgeon is a good way to describe Byrne. Yeah, please. Of course, if he ever listens to this, which I'm sure he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> then, then he'll never come on as a guest. He doesn't listen to anything that he doesn't have. He, he himself has not actually been on, so you're, I think you're good. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty safe. <laughs> I think. Well, the only uh, the only one I know he was on around comics with Chris Neesman at one time. Yeah, and Chris mm-hmm. actually had a very high opinion of him, but 
that's he was on his best behavior at the time. Yeah, I'm sure that's that that seems to be the rarity because he he doesn't seem to take well to talking to strangers. Anyway, uh, the book was colored by Bob Sharon, lettered by Dana Albers and Gaspar Saladino, and edited by Roger Stern. The story opens with the Thing piloting the Fantastic Four's pogo plane over to Project Pegasus to check on Wondar. He takes note that the facility is more advanced than the last time he had been there, and upon arrival he's put through a series of security screening procedures, including a brain scan, and then is given a badge reflecting his high-priority status and giving him access to all areas of the project. At so that it's, point, like getting, it's like getting on a plane uh, bef- before uh, 9-11 and after 9-11. It's a TSA procedure has changed. Yeah, you know, that's actually... Uh, the. The, the difference in level is probably exactly what they're trying to, to show here, even though obviously it not, has nothing to do with 9-11, considering this is 1979. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you used to be, you went through relatively quickly in the airports before that, and now, you know, there's the whole take your shoes off, empty your pockets, take everything out. Uh, they, scan my, they scan my stuff, and then they still say, well, what's that? Didn't you just scan it? <laughs> Didn't you scan it and open it and look at it? Hey. So at this point, uh, Ben is ready to meet the security chief, Quasar, who comes up behind him. The problem is that Quasar has the same costume as the Crusader, who fought the Fantastic Four in issues number 163 and 164. So Ben immediately goes on the attack, and Quasar thinks that Ben might be testing him. So, as in every good team-up book, we start with a fight between the two heroes, ending with Quasar trapping the thing in an energy cage. He explains that Ben is mixed up and mixed him up with Bob Grayson, who was the 1950s Marvel hero who went by the name Marvel Boy, but went berserk in the 1970s in those Fantastic Four issues, resulting in his battling with them. And that ended with him going by the name The Crusader and atomizing himself, leaving only the energy bands that he had been wearing. The bands came to Stark International, where they were studied by Quasar's father, And like all multi-billion dollar conglomerates, Stark allowed Quasar's dad to remove their assets and give them to his son to use. (laughs) So from there, Quasar did a stint as a S.H.I.E.L.D. super agent, and that was in an issue of Captain America, or it might have been two issues even, but it was a storyline from Captain America. And uh, then he took over as the head of security for Project Pegasus, which is where we are now. The two heroes take a tour of the facility and run into Tom Leitner, who was a character named Black Sun, who has the power of a black hole. I'm sure he's going to come into play later in the story. He quickly goes to his quarters and reports to Nth Command as Operative X that the thing joining Project Pegasus is a complication. Cut to Thundra walking through the garbage-strewn streets of Manhattan, and I kind of take offense to the way Byrne portrays Manhattan there. <laughs> oh, my God, that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, it's especially, like, look, I mean, I know that Manhattan was sort of, uh, you know, downtrodden in in the 70s, and yes, I've, you know, I've seen the photos. Mind you, I'm 31, so that was not my Manhattan, but uh, even when I was younger, it was... It was a little dirty, but it wasn't so bad. But it wasn't garbage air- strewn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is which I didn't take. I didn't uh, improvise that. Those words were in the story. <laughs> yeah, 
And my my favorite part is, uh, you know, yeah, the, that it's the decaying Lower East Side of Manhattan. And today, that's the, you know, the multi-billion dollar Lower East Side of Manhattan where, yeah, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, the decaying Lower side of East Side of Manhattan. Try and rent an apartment there. Yeah, exactly. It's like Katz's Delicatessen is the only thing that remains from that time and everything else has been completely redone. So it's just, well, I guess that was, that was, and maybe still is with a lot of people, the perception of Manhattan. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of unfair. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think over time it's changing, but, uh, it, it, it needs to change more in media itself. It needs to change more in, in television and movies for people to really uh, get the idea that that's not what Manhattan's really like anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a little guy, but I've never been like a, you know, a guy who's out there seeking fights. Yeah. And I've never really had any problem when I had to go to Manhattan. And, you know, it's not, you know, it's not like the way they make it seem is like around every corner, there's a mugger waiting for you. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the same place that still has Hell, Hell's Kitchen as a, uh, as well, Hell's Kitchen. So <laughs> yeah, I, I rest my case there. Yeah. I, I went to Hell's Kitchen this year for Fleet Week. It's really not so bad. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that they uh, explained it the way they did in the actual uh, Marvel Netflix series, though, for Daredevil. That uh, hey, it's 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 downtrodden again because of uh, what happened with the Avengers and the Avengers movie. Uh, like everything got destroyed. I'm like, okay, sold. That's a good reason for things to be uh, poopy again. Yeah, that that's actually that was fair. That was, I, I and I like that they tie it into the movie universe too. Yeah. So back to the story, Thunder is walking along, and of course, she turns a corner, and there's somebody being mugged, because it's Manhattan. There's, there's a very large, bald black man who's wearing a headband for some reason, who's threatening a very small black man with a purple jacket and derby. Uh, she, she basically takes out the big guy, and then the little guy offers her a, uh, a position in, as a wrestling attraction. So I assume we're going to see a lot more of that later. But that's it for this story with Thundra. Such such an aside, such a ran- what feels like a random scene uh, that just like has nothing to do with what's going on in the issue itself. Uh, you don't really see much of that in today's comics. Yeah, total non sequitur. Uh, definitely, yeah. But yeah, it, it's you. You only see it if it's going to come right up in the next issue. There's no, uh, you know. The, the writers aren't on the books long enough as a general rule mm-hmm. to have these subplots that are going to come up six, eight, ten months later. Right. It's like, unless you're Dan Slott, you know, unless you're somebody who's actually in it for the long haul on the book that they're on, because he will do that occasionally on Amazing Spider-Man uh, and has in the past where, you know, you'll see the little word bubble, like, you know, see the point one issue for more on this. And it'll just be, you know, a random scene with a character that has nothing to do with the issue itself. But you're right. Most most writers are not on books long enough to set things up like that. Yeah, I mean, you'll see it with Bendis a little bit because he generally has long runs on the books he's on. Sure. And uh, all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank. Uh, who is it that's doing the Avengers now? Was big on the Fantastic Four for a while. Uh, Hickman. Hickman. Yeah. yeah. He, he's He's been – I mean, he's – He's definitely uh, writing for the long game in his stuff. Oh, no question. Yeah. But that's about it as far as Marvel books that I can think of off the top of my head. Everybody else seems to be, you know, I'll, I'll do one trade and then we'll see if I'm going to stay any longer. 
I hope that Mark Wade's upcoming Avengers run becomes one of that because uh, I still haven't read most of his Daredevil stuff, and I, I need to get on that because I've heard such wonderful things about it. Uh, but from mo- other podcasts and from reviews I've read uh, on online about it, so I got I got to get on that. Yeah, I had read the beginning of that run in you know the the first series that he did because I think they're on his yeah. third series now. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the first I had read probably about the first twenty issues of it, and it, it was very good. And I ended up getting sidetracked, but it wasn't because of a lack of quality. Right, happens to me all the time. <laughs> Unfortunately, life gets in the way, like you were saying before. Mm-hmm. So uh, back to the tour of Project Pegasus, where they study humans with energy manipulating abilities, and as they're touring, they pass a s- cell with Nuclo in it and Solar before they reach the. Uh, room where Wondar is, and he's curled up in the fetal position on a table of some sort in the dark, and there's a woman in there who says that it's his preference. It seems that Wondar is in a coma and unresponsive, which makes it difficult to know what his preference is, but she does. (laughs) And this is due to his suffering an overdose of energy due to a sabotage when he was linked to a cosmic cube, and he was taken to a room where all the lights and machinery blinked off, Then they took him to another room where the same thing happened, and that's how they concluded that he was the one dampening the energy and that he wants it that way, as opposed to it's just happening because of some condition he has and he doesn't actually have any thought process involved in it. But whatever. (laughs) Wondar is such a uh, a Kirby-style character. Yes. Now, are you familiar with him otherwise, or did you just get him from this book? I'm just getting him from this book. But yeah, I, I would agree. And, and and you know, anytime you can have Joe Sinnott inking too, it just kind of brings your mind to to Kirby as well. Absolutely, yeah. And and that that might be one of the reasons why I might be enjoying this this art as much as I am because it's not it's not just the standard uh, you know burn style. It does have more of that Kirby flair to it than than a burn book normally would. Yeah, I would agree. And I guess we'll get more into that as as we go on. Sure. But. Uh, Apparently they can't test Wondar because anytime they bring any machinery over to him, it uh, it gets the energy drained from it. So they can't tell if he has any brain damage or not. And the thing approaches him and then he feels his own strength waning. And they agree to leave him for now and Quasar shows Ben to his quarters. Then we go back to Tom Leitner, the gentleman we met earlier. And he's uh, making his way through the facility to the solar research level. And along the way, he uses a neural jammer to incapacitate two guards. Lightner deactivates an exterior defense perimeter. And outside, we see a silhouetted figure making its way down an elevator shaft. And the, the uh, narration tells us it's unseen by sensors designed to detect any living, and living is highlighted, thing. So the emphasis uh, is clearly there to kind of give us a clue of some sort as to what we're dealing with. So five levels below, the thing is smoking a cigar and laying in bed. And, you know, that's what all smart people do. And (laughs) he decides to look around and he's walking around. And as he does so, the silhouetted figure is watching him with a gun of some sort in his hand. We cut to a close-up of two large red eyes with deformed flesh around them and some type of metallic head shell and a computerized thought balloon saying, Quarry Approaches. The final page of the story is a splash page of the thing coming around a corner with Deathlock on the other side, weapon at the ready. So that was our non-living being. And the story tells us next, part two of the, pre- of the Pegasus Project, Blood and Bionics. Now, I remember this. Unlike you, Ian, I was buying this series when it came out. 
And uh, sure, <laughs> I bought I bought this off the newsstand, and I remember Project Pegasus being awesome, and I hadn't read it since then, so I, I did have some apprehension about picking it for today because I was afraid it might not live up to my memory because so often that happens. Sure, that you have the nostalgia for certain books, and you you, you pull them out and you read them, and you're like, eh. But, yeah, I'm a '90s. I'm a '90s kid. That's like half the comics I read when I was a kid. <laughs> but this this lived up to my memory of it, and it made me want to pull out the next couple of issues and and reread the entire Pegasus storyline. Uh, it it it's a, a real solid build up to what's going to go on. What's the mystery? What are they doing in there? Uh, you know, who's the thing going to end up facing? And and it's all done so in in a in a build you know building it up kind of way almost in in a haunted house kind of way that there's things going on behind the scenes he's sitting in his bedroom while things are going on, uh, and 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 you know or or a spy mystery however you want to look at it but it's it's kind of got a classic storytelling style to it, and then you top that off with John Bernhardt as inked by Joe Sinnott and I think I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say when it comes to inking nobody does the thing better than Joe Sinnott. Mm, yeah that and and this this is a very very classic looking looking thing like i mean everything about it is is what i would imagine you know the thing would look like in my in my mind's eye you know if i was sticking to the character and i i i I really enjoyed what what was on the page here both both art and story it's uh it's very classic uh you know the the Thundra thing was really the only part of it that threw me off because, like I said, it's uh, it really does come out of absolute left field and has very little to do with the story itself. But, you know, if it's a building story that's going to have multiple parts, then obviously it's going to have something to do with the, the either a backup story or the story itself as, Peg- as Project Pegasus goes on. But wasn't expecting Deathlock at the end of there. I'll tell you that, and that's uh, that's something that I guess can come from a team up book as well. That uh, you know characters you're not expecting to show up are going to wind up showing up. Yeah, and if I remember right, this iteration of Deathlock, this is the original uh, Luther Manning version of Deathlock. Mm-hmm. But at this point, he has virtually none of his uh, of his human side left. He's purely the computerized portion that's that's driving the body. And I think this storyline leads us to the end of Luther Manning. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So a coda, if you will, for for that original Deathlock. Yeah. I and the the other the other thing about this is I I'm a huge fan of Agents of Atlas, uh, mm-hmm. the the series that came out in the in the mid two thousands, and uh, reading about Quasar's beginnings and. Uh, you know what happened to the the fifties Marvel boy and all that. Uh, what'd you say? What'd you say his his name was uh, when he was a villain? Uh, Chris, the Crusader. Crusader. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, and you know, knowing uh, the I guess what you would call retcon of what happened with with Marvel boy in in Marvel Comics after this, uh, it's it's very very interesting to me to actually see you know the the beginnings of that and and having it described here and you know why that would be throw everybody off especially considering that quasar looks just like marvel boy <laughs> yeah just uh, I, i'm it's been a while since i've read the uh the issues of the fantastic four that they reference but if my memory is right they're rich buckler art and it's just an basically as drawn it's an older looking version of the same person gotcha and okay. uh, I, I would suspect that that's available on Marvel Unlimited. 
I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, they've they've been filling in the back issues for Fantastic Four for a while now. So yeah, I can give it a go. So you know, the way the way I I try to look at these books on the show is I try to kind of look at them on an individual basis, just this issue on its own, and then take into account in something like this where it's part of a larger story, and and give some some thought into it as far as the larger story. Is it one? Does it, you know, does it pull you into the story and make you want to read the rest mm-hmm. of it? Yeah. Two, does it build up to something that, that you know, that you feel like you're going to, you know, it's really going to go somewhere? And uh, in, in this case, I think both of those are true. I would agree with you. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually intrigued about, about what's going to come next. In fact, I might even wind up just reading the rest of this, uh, this Project Pegasus on Marvel Unlimited uh, just because, well, for one thing, as a as a Jewish boy from Brooklyn, I always like a good thing story. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always forget that the thing is Jewish. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and uh, the uh, probably the most references to Aunt Petunia I've I've seen in in like three pages <laughs> uh, for, for the thing uh, that, that I've that I've read in a while. But it's it's definitely the type of uh, Ben Grimm story that I like reading. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where this is going to go next. And and I'm, I'm kind of partial for Quasar as well. Um, I, I I'm mostly only really familiar with his newer stuff uh, from about the admin and landing era when they brought the character back. Mm-hmm. But uh I I like the character a lot. I, I I enjoy his origins and seeing his origins in Project Pe- Pegasus is nice as well because he is back there during Admin and Lanning's run. So yeah, no this this is this was a lot of fun for me. I, I I enjoyed it a lot. When you think about like you know we talked earlier about team up books and what they were doing at the time, mm-hmm. and it's looking at it from the 2015 perspective, it's kind of interesting to think that the thing was the marquee talent or ta- marquee character rather. Right to to have a, a team up book centered around, you know, in DC you had uh, Brave and the Bold with Batman teaming up with people, and then you had DC Comics Presents with Superman teaming up with people. Obviously, you know, DC's two uh, premier characters, and then in in Marvel you had Marvel team up with Spider Man, their marquee character. Mm-hmm. And who do you pick for your second team up book? And the thing is kind of an odd choice when you kind of think of it from that perspective. Right, but he really did carry this book. I think the series went for a hundred issues. Wow! And in in many ways, it was superior to Marvel Team Up. I think I think it was more consistently of a higher quality. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, Marvel Team Up had some real good runs, but but when it went down, it went really down. <laughs> were the uh, were the writers interchangeable on uh, on Marvel Two and One as well, or uh, did Gruenwald stick with it for the most part? You know what? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I'm not okay. sure. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, he certainly wasn't there in the beginning. I know Steve Gerber had a run early on. Right. And I couldn't tell you, like, what the uh, what the parade of, of writers were. I, okay. I'm, I'm sure it changed periodically. As sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine, especially with the team up book, that they would, uh, you know, use this almost as a as a as a you know, testing ground for, for writers and artists, uh, which they do a lot today. And, uh, you know, you, you actually saw that in uh, the, the series that I'm going to be talking about, uh, you know, that version of Marvel team up. Um, they, they had a bunch of, uh, artists, uh, that, uh, that, you know, were just getting into, uh, Marvel, uh, start things off there, uh, to see if they would, you know, actually work as a, as an ongoing artist, uh, in many in many aspects, but it for me too. This I'm not as familiar with Gruenwald as I should be, and mm-hmm. I know that you know 
unfortunately, I, I don't get to read current Mark Gruenwald because there is no current Mark Gruenwald. And that's still, you know, sad to me the way that that went down. But uh, uh, I I need I need to be more familiar with this stuff because this, this is absolutely a writing style that I can get that I can get behind. Yeah, my uh, my memory is that he, his, the big thing uh, that he did was the uh, unless I'm misremembering, he did the 12 issue Squadron Supreme storyline yep. which in many ways i think is one of the best maxi series i guess a 12 issue mm-hmm. uh and and in a lot of ways was a precursor to the watchmen right and i don't think it gets the credit as a groundbreaking series that it should well wasn't that the series that they mixed his ashes with or am i am i thinking wrong here i don't think so only because i think uh he was alive and well when it came out okay because Poss- I- possibly on on maybe on a trade that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking of because if I remember correctly they were just coming out with the trade for that and and they and they mixed his his ashes into the the, the print run of that. But again, I could I could be wrong. Uh, in fact, you know what actually the first thing that came up when I put in Mark Ruinwald into Google was ashes. So, I'm I'm going to go with yes on that. Okay, I'm, and and I punched up his Wikipedia page and it says uh, in accordance with his request, he was cremated and his ashes were mixed with the ink used to print the first printing of the trade paperback yep. compilation of the Squadron Supreme. Well, there you go. Yep. Yeah. And and mind you, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, dis- discrediting, discrediting that this is also co-written with uh, with Machio because yes. uh, because, yeah, I. I I'd be curious to see, you know, how their co-writing went, whether it was, uh, you know, one writes one page, one writes the other, or whether they were, you know, in a room together writing the story as, as a team. Yeah, that, yeah, I guess we'll probably never know that one. But uh, yeah. also just his run on Marvel 2 and 1 was, it started with this issue, and it went from okay. 53 to 58, then 60 mm-hmm. to 72. Gotcha. Okay. So it was about uh, 19 issues. That's pretty good. Yeah, not a bad run. And, and I'm pretty sure the quality was... Fairly consistently high over that time. Yeah, but yeah, no, I'm 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 in, man. I mean, I, I I've been I've been looking to read a bunch of older books lately, uh, just just because I know that there's much history that uh, that I could you know use a refresher on, especially with the uh, the characters that are going to be made out of uh, both uh, movies and TV shows. Uh, I want to know more about uh, you know say the Luke Cages and the Iron Fist of the world and. Uh, I could certainly know more about uh, Ms. Marvel, Carol Danvers, uh, just because I'm only really familiar with her, early, her with her recent history as opposed to her early stuff. So, this yeah, well, uh, she's an interesting character because she's one of the characters, uh, much like Mockingbird mm-hmm. and Black Goliath, uh, who existed in the Marvel universe as a character before becoming a superhero, just like Patsy Walker. Yes. Yeah, uh, Carol Danvers was actually a supporting character in the Captain Marvel storyline. Okay. And uh, whatever it is, six, seven years later, they decided to make her Ms. Marvel. Gotcha. Cool. And that, yeah, no. you know, Mockingbird started out in uh, Kazar as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Mm-hmm. And Black Goliath was Bill Forster, who was Henry Pym's assistant. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that that I that I know just from the uh, the many, many origins I've, I, I read about him during the Civil War days. Yeah, I kind of wish they had thrown Bill Foster in uh, to the Ant Man movie in a, in a cameo of some sort. He was in an earlier version of the script, apparently, which upsets me because I would I would have been in the exact same boat as you. I would have liked to have seen him in, integrated in one way or the other. I think he's a a character that could uh, work his way into the cinematic universe pretty easily. Yeah, I I, I I definitely think so. But 
I don't want to stray too far from this. I want to go back to this book. <laughs> sure. uh, we, you know, we we put we give ratings on the books. We rate the cover, mm-hmm. uh, the store, the writing, the art, and then overall. And we give you know the same grade you would as as a school uh, school test. So I'll I'll go out first on this thing, and sure. I will say cover is solid. It's got good action in it. Not only could I say I would go to the newsstand and buy it, I did. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to say solid B plus on the cover. Mm-hmm. The interior art is very well laid out. The storyline and the the uh, rather the storytelling and and the pacing of it, I think, are very good. The only thing that kind of throws the pacing for a loop, as you've pointed out, is the Thundra story kind yeah. of just thrown into the middle of it. Uh, otherwise, I feel like it's kind of building up the suspense and the intrigue as to what's going on little by little and, and you know, kind of ending on a, on a, on a high point. So I'm going to say the interior art, it's, it's John Byrne not looking like typical John Byrne. And I, I'm going to say that's because of Joe Sinnott, but that they match up really nicely together in here. So I'm going to give this, I'm going to give the artwork, the interior artwork an A minus. And I'm going to give the storyline the same A minus. Really, really good. Very enjoyable. Makes me want more. And, and I'll give the book an A minus on a whole. Cool. Um, for the, the cover for me, I'm actually going to give it a B. Uh, not that I don't enjoy it, but it, it's a little bit busy for my taste. Uh, there could be a couple less of those uh, energy lines, uh, just because I feel like that strays the eye a little bit. Uh, from the uh, from what's going on. Plus, there's a whole bunch of text on it that makes your eye wander a little bit more than uh, than you know my preference would uh, would go. But the art itself is solid, so that that'll be a B for me. Um, interior art, um, I'm gonna go with your A minus there. Uh, that's absolutely uh, something that can uh, that I would let I, I I would look forward to seeing more of. Uh, you know, the the pairing of burn burn and Senate is. I mean, come on, it's 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 burn for one, and you know, like like we've said in this already, you know, one of the best inkers of all time, uh, especially for the thing in Sinnet. and uh, the the story itself, uh, I'll I'll give it a solid B. Um, it's it it has me interested. I want to read more of it, and as someone who's coming into this as as a first timer, everything but that thunder thunder bit. Uh, had me interested in, in wanting to read more of it. So overall, this is a solid B plus issue for me. I, I think it's 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 definitely in my wheelhouse, my type of story, and uh, I I want to see more. I want to read more. All right, <laughs> I, I think that's uh, we're, we're pretty much in agreement there. There's not not too much variation. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a classic. That's that that's a given. Well, now we'll move on to one that's a little less classic, but. Let's see how much we enjoy this one. Okay. Well, let me give a little bit of my uh, my background on uh, on this issue itself uh, first before I, uh, I I dive into the issue itself. Uh, first off, it's Marvel Team Up uh, number fourteen, uh, the two thousand four series, uh, which was uh, written by uh, Robert Kirkman with uh, pencils by Corey Walker, and I picked this up mostly on hype because I I had not been reading uh, Marvel Team Up at the time, and I hadn't been reading Invincible. But I knew this issue was coming up. I think I might have read it, read about it even in an issue of Wizard that uh, that this team up was going to happen. And I figured it's invincible. Maybe this would be a good way in the door. And when I read it, uh, I was taken for a loop because I felt like I was missing something. And 
I've since gone and read Invincible, and I read it regularly in the uh, Ultimate format, uh, the oversized hardcovers that come out about once a year. And that is a fantastic way to read Invincible. Uh, it's uh, ni- nice, gorgeous artwork. Uh, uh, it's done by Ryan Otley now, but uh, you know Corey Walker to start, and Corey Walker still does occasional uh, fill-in issues here and there, but great way to read it. And I got to the Invincible storyline that, that's referenced in this issue, and it absolutely works as a, a side issue to what's going on in Invincible at the time. Um, and I can go into the issue itself now, uh, just, just for the way it works. Um, like I said, it's written by Kirkman with, with art by Kari Walker. Colors are by Bill Crabtree, and uh, letters by VC's Corey Pettit. And uh, it, it starts off... Uh, just with the you know Spider Man and and Doc Ock in another one of their standard fights, uh, I'll I'll point out uh, as well uh, that uh, Spider Man makes multiple references about uh, about Doc Ock's health in this issue, which just you know made me laugh a little bit because of what happens later on in uh, in Spider Man comics with uh, Superior Spider Man. Uh, not necessarily foreshadowing, just. Interesting to look back on that now, with how often uh, you know Doc Ock would get you know conked on the head during a battle, or or wind up with, with you know all of his limbs broken, and uh, yeah, you can only do that so many times until it just takes the complete fight out of you. And uh, <laughs> this was yeah another one of those stories where that happened. Um, so the the fight's going on until uh, suddenly uh, Invincible pops in out of nowhere uh, through a portal and uh, winds up taking him out. Of course, Spider-Man has no idea who this guy is and thinks maybe it's Nova in a new costume or or, or some other guy that he might be familiar with. Uh, it makes a crack about how the uh, the costume looks a little too gambit for his take, <laughs> which, which just, you know, made me crack up. Uh, and, uh, you know, Invincible intro- uh, introduces himself and, you know, says that, uh, you know, he's not sure where he is, but uh, he assumes that's the bad guy because he's the one with the quote-unquote spider arms course they're actually octopus limbs and uh yeah winds up taking out uh doc ock for for spider-man and uh the police come along and of course that's their cue to run because this is spider-man we're talking about here he doesn't exactly have a good relationship with the cops even if he's a good guy and uh we get to a a scene further on where you know the the formal introductions are made uh spider-man introduces himself as spider-man and uh invincible makes a pun about not exactly a pun but makes fun of his name uh, like that's a little too literal for his take and yeah i guess that's the difference between uh the image comics and uh and marvel comics there where you know spider man dr octopus but invincible's kind of on the nose too because well he's an invincible man so there you go (laughs) (laughs) you can take that either way but just like we have in uh, in the marvel 2 in one issue that we were talking about we do have explanation as to why Invincible is here, and it's due to the fight that uh, was going on between Invincible and Angstrom Levy in the main Invincible series, uh, which is uh, referenced here as uh, this is happening behind the scenes of Invincible number 33, which is smack dab in the middle of that story arc, and uh, there are 12-issue Ultimate hardcovers, so I guess that would be in the third Ultimate hardcover? Yeah, so volume three of that. And I'm actually going back to New York Comic Con. What I mentioned earlier, Paul, is I'm actually getting an Angstrom Levy uh, head sketch from Gabe, Gabe Hardman at the show. That's uh, very cool. Yeah, so I'm really looking 
looking forward to that because if there's anybody who has a, a head made for a head sketch, it's 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 Ekstrom Levy. <laughs> How uh, he's got all, all these like wires coming out of it, and he's got a ginormous head. So I figured I'd get the most out of my head sketch by uh, by asking for that. Yeah. How, how did you go but, about yeah, doing we, that? You you ordered it in advance. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh. uh actually, David Price uh, won up posting that uh, Gabe Hardman was taking, uh, you know, New York Comic Con uh, commissions. And I went to his uh, Tumblr page and it gave his rates there. And uh, I figured, I, you know, yeah, absolutely, that would be worth it. And when you enter my apartment, there's actually like six or seven other sketches of Invincible characters. So slowly but surely, I'm trying to fill that entire wall with uh, uh, framed Invincible sketches. And I figured, why not Gabe Hartman? I mean, you know, he did some great Agents of Atlas stuff. And I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of that, as I mentioned earlier. And this would be right up my alley. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It was sixty bucks for the head sketch. That's not bad. Which is, you know, not bad for an artist caliber. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it turns out. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, he explains what's happening with uh, with his mom and how you know Angstrom has her captive, and also explains a little bit about his own backstory with his uh, his father and you know how he found out about his powers and uh, how you know basically the main twist of Invincible, which. If you've read more than the first six issues of Invincible, you know that twist already. Um, if I, I mean, it's in the issue itself, so it's um, you know it's not exactly a spoiler, but you know he, he thought his his uh, his father was a good guy. Turned out he wasn't so good, uh, and winds up killing uh, the that world's version of the Justice League and saying, you know, I was I was only here to take over this planet uh, for my race and of course his race uh, is a race of freddie mercury mustached uh, aliens with uh, with strong powers um of course mark decides that uh, he doesn't want that for himself and you know winds up fighting his father and uh you know his father says at the time that he didn't actually really love his mother if you read more invincible you're gonna get a lot more about the father and and the mother and all that relationship so i'll leave that to you guys but yeah, that's that's what's explained here. And, you know, Invisible says, you know, he is a good guy. So why doesn't he help out Spider-Man while he's here, uh, especially with the stock ox situation? And Spidey says, sure, but rein in the uh, the the powers next time because he doesn't want his his villains, you know, battered and broken. And, you know, Mark understands that as well. So they wind up flying off to Avengers Tower. And uh, this is before Civil War. So at the time, uh, Peter Parker is still living in Avengers Mansion along with uh, Aunt May and uh, Mary Jane, who he's still married to at the time. Yep, free one more day. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing that jumped out at me as I read this. Oh, look, they're still married. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, for that matter, uh, I, I'd suggest uh, at some point picking up either digitally or in trade uh, the uh, the Secret Wars Spider-Man series that was just coming out. The, um, the Renew Your Vows. Yeah, Renew Your Vows. Yeah, that that was that's been a lot of fun, and it's it's nice to see a version of Spider-Man that's still with a Mary Jane, uh, and you know, wind up having a kid as well. And it, it was it, it was old school Spider-Man fun. It, you know, I doubt it's going to have much to do with continuity in the end, but it was, it was Dan Slott writing with uh, Kubert art. You, you know, you can't beat that good stuff, yeah, but yeah, I may, I may take you up on that one. Cause yeah. I, I do like that era of Spider-Man. So I prefer that to the current era. I I'm liking what, what's happening current. And I'm, I've especially been enjoying, uh, superior Spider-Man was a big shock for me because I thought that was just going to be such a gimmick. 
and it wound up being some of the strongest stuff for me that Dan Slott has done on the character. And now that we're out of that, I'm very curious to see where this whole Parker Industries storyline is going to wind up going with uh, with Spider-Man. I, Dan promises it's not just going to be Iron Man light, and I, I trust him. And, you know, we'll see where this goes. Uh, and Mary Jane's going to be in the Iron Man books now. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm not sure. I have mixed feelings on, on that. But uh, I, I really... I, I join you on really having enjoyed Superior Spider-Man. Yeah. And it seemed as soon as that storyline ended, I tried to follow it and mm-hmm. I kind of lost interest quickly. It was, yeah, it wasn't the strongest continuation there, um, which is why I'm hoping with this new storyline we get more back on track. Because uh, I, I think Dan knew there was going to be changes soon, um, which is why those first couple of Amazing Spider-Man issues were so-so. However, Spider-Verse is everything I loved about Spider-Man and more. That yeah. is superb. Uh, basically, every version of Spider-Man you've ever seen is in this is in this crossover. And it it actually it goes as far back as tying in uh, J. Michael Straczynski's run because Mordrew winds up showing up again. Mm-hmm. And we find out that uh, you know he's not the only member of his family, and basically they feed on spider totems not only just in our universe but all universes. Right. And they wind up they wind up bringing back uh, in one way or the other uh, Superior Spider-Man. Uh, you, you remember those that that issue where uh, Doc Ock Spidey disappeared for a moment and then popped right back in, and he wasn't sure where he went. Right. Right. And they tied that in afterwards with something I, I i know i heard about that they right that they, that they did do something with that that is exactly what they wind up doing with uh, with spider-verse that is that is where doc doc Ock went uh during that time he was a part of spider-verse along with peter parker spider-man along with a version of ben riley that survived his universe along with uh mayday mayday parker spider-girl uh there's a captain britain version of spider-man they bring in the. They, they even had like the cartoon versions. Right? Oh, they sure did. Yeah, <laughs> they there was there was one issue of the uh, Spider Verse like sub series that actually had Miles Morales Spider Man, Ultimate Spider Man from the cartoons, and 1960s cartoon Spider Man. <laughs> they wind up going to 1960s Spider Man universe to try and get a hold of him, and they find him because the Daily Planet. Build, sorry, the Daily Bugle building is the only building with a sign. <laughs> I, I mean, you could have fun with the backgrounds on that, too, making him similar in the cartoon. And that's exactly what they did, yeah. Those that, Ralph Bakshi backgrounds. Oh, yeah, yep. There's there's one uh, side story also where, like, more, um, one of the uh, more Drew uh, siblings winds up in the uh, Spider-Man strip universe where everything resets each each panel. <laughs> so like everything that was said at the in the la- in the last panel of the of the last panel winds up said in the next panel it's just oh so much fun <laughs> i had such a great time with yeah, that yeah I, I may have to seek that out too now hey, come on man it had japanese spider-man with the sapidamon and the giant mech <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe next week at new york comic-con i'll be looking for that do it man make it happen but anyway yeah so like like we were saying with the with the issue uh Mary Jane and uh, and Aunt May are living in the Avengers Tower, and uh, you know Mark makes a comment about uh, <laughs> about uh, how how lucky uh, Spidey is to to have a girl like uh, like Mary Jane, and you know, well, yes, we all know that. I mean, come on, have you looked at her? 
and and that's around the time that the Avengers show up, and they're not too happy with Spider-Man bringing this this guy that he just met to Avengers Tower. Um, however, uh, <laughs> Spider-Man says that uh, you know he didn't expect them to be able to help out because they were all off doing cosmic stuff, and. Uh, my my favorite line, my favorite going back and forth in this issue was actually between Iron Man and Captain America in this uh, in this panel here with uh, Iron Man going, you know, listening to him, you'd think we, we fought Thanos or Galactus every day. And then Captain America says, Spider-Man's definition of cosmic stuff is very loose. <laughs> I, I, I liked that and I got a kick out of that. And I, I got a kick out of that whole concept. Mm-hmm. But the one thing, my one criticism... Well, my one significant criticism of this book mm-hmm. is Kirkman seems to write everybody with the same voice. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. You know, it, 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 they all have the voice cracking. You know, and, and now Tony Stark is that because of Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of him. Right. But I don't think he was that at this point. Yeah, uh, and, and that's... That's a, that's something about Kirkman that uh, that I had a little bit of an issue with uh, with the way he wrote Marvel characters specifically. He does a good job of of having characters with different voices in Invincible and Walking Dead and stuff like that. But he he injects a little a little bit too much of his own style onto characters sometimes, and I could see that I could see your your issue with that a little, well, it, a little it, too it's much. The same thing with with Bendis, and he he does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got the same you know snappy repartee, right? And 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 that was you know I mean Bendis was huge at the time when this came out too so uh, that may have even had an influence on Kirkman writing them this way very possible yeah uh, I, I mean not too soon after this Kirkman wrote uh, Irredeemable Ant Man which has a very similar you know humor style to it uh, and uh, in some ways some of that transferred over to the Ant Man that we saw on screen even if, even if it was Scott Lang and not. Uh, uh, the the Ant Man that showed up in uh, in that uh, Eddie, you know uh, O'Grady, but uh, but yeah, he 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 has a humor streak uh, that that shows its head a little too often sometimes. Right. Yeah. All so right. sorry to keep interrupting. No, sure, please come on. That's that's what this is all about. Uh, so we uh, we wind up uh, then having uh, Spider Man and Invincible, you know, go back off. Uh, of course, Spider Man runs out of buildings, so uh, Invincible winds up flying him the rest of the way using a, a nice web harness to do so. And uh, there's Doc Ock tearing up the place, uh, you know, basically where where they left him. Uh, he winds up getting away from the police earlier on in the issue, and now he's back for more. And uh, Spider-Man tries to, tries to head him off along with Invincible. And Invincible having the abilities that he does very easily takes apart Doc's limbs and, uh, you know, disposes of him <laughs> in that aspect because what's doc ock without the use of his limbs uh, he just basically just takes him apart on the spot and and uh there's very little left for doc ock to do in that situation uh right after that happens the the big portal winds up popping up again the uh, the green portal that angstrom levy uh winds up uh materializing does so again because the whole point of uh, this journey for for mark is to try and tire him out so angstrom can actually have a fair fight with him and uh he's just randomly doing this the entire time and you know this is the next portal jump for him uh spider-man thinks maybe he can help out and thought for a minute uh that you know he might want to follow but luckily the portal closes in time because who knows if spidey would have even been able to get himself back after that and uh, off mark goes 
and uh, Spider-Man ends this uh, almost the exact way that I wanted him to. Uh, you know, that was stupid. That had worked. I could have been stranded in another dimension. What was I thinking? I'm going to go home and watch movies with my hot wife. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that is Spider-Man for me. That's absolutely the Spider-Man that I know and love. And uh, he wishes Invincible good luck. And there's the story. Yeah, the, the, snor- the snorky, wisecracking voice, that is Spider-Man. Yeah. But it's not Captain America, and it's not Iron Man, and it's right. not certainly not Doc Ock. Yeah. And and it's not Aunt May, <laughs> you know. You know that that's where, like I said, it, the one voice kind of bothers me a little bit. But when it comes to Spider Man, that's what that's perfect. Right. Aunt May can have some of that sometimes. Uh, in fact, some of my favorite Aunt May has actually been a slightly snarky Aunt May. But uh, I like Aunt May as smarter than she lets on. Yes. But you can, you know, like if you're looking closely enough, you can tell. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's the way I like her written or the the. The version of her that I enjoy the most. Yeah, and, and uh, going back to Dan Slott for a minute, he does a very good job with that uh, in in his run uh, when when she as she's married to uh, uh, J. Jonah Jameson's father now and in, in, in the comics, uh, she's been showing that more and more that uh, you know she does have this strong will and and you know she is a lot smarter than just a, a doting old woman who makes wheat cakes. Yeah, that's that was fine in nineteen sixty whatever. Right. But they needed to move on from that. It took them a long time to do that. They had to kill her off twice before they finally did it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And yeah, I mean, uh, I was I was happy with this issue. Like I said, I was a lot happier with it once I actually read the Invincible storyline that made this issue possible. Um, And that's that's something that the you know, the regular reader, like somebody who was just reading Marvel team up might have missed. And uh, I'm curious uh, what what you what you think about that overall. Uh, whether you've read the Invincible storyline that this ties into, and you know what you think about it. I had read Invincible in those. Uh, what do they call the oversized? Uh, the ultimate collections. collections. The yeah. ultimate collections. Same ones that I was talking about. Yeah. I had taken the first two of those out of my local library and read them, and that's how I read Invincible. And it's got to be, I mean, at least six or seven years ago. Yeah. Okay. I did that, and I, and I flew through them. I thought they were great. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I don't know, reading the first two volumes, I'm not sure what issue that got me up to. That would be uh, issue 24, because each one has 12 issues. Okay, so it would be just before, or maybe about a year before the storyline. Exactly. And I yes. was trying to remember as I read this, did I read the storyline that this relates to, and I could not remember it. Mm-hmm. And and much much like the Marvel 2-in-1 issue that we went through, this one makes me want to read more Invincible. And and that's it's it's kind of what it did for me when I read it initially. However, it then took me like six more years until I actually did, and now I'm <laughs> a huge Invincible fan. And I actually just pre-ordered the tenth Ultimate Collection uh, via DCBS this month because it was an amazing uh, like forty percent off or something like that. So it only cost me like eleven dollars as opposed to the like twenty five it would cost otherwise. Oh, nice. Yeah, but. but uh, it- Interestingly, you know, Spider-Man is my all-time favorite character. Mm-hmm. This book does not make me want to read more Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, it, it felt, from the Spider-Man end, it felt negligible. It, mm-hmm. it, it was almost a throwaway story. 
And, uh, and I think it was intended to be that way, that this right. wasn't supposed to affect the greater Spider-Man universe. Sure. I, th- I think this was Robert Kirkman's attempt to cross over into the Marvel universe and expose his character to Marvel fans who might not otherwise read Invincible. Absolutely. Like, like yourself, mm-hmm. and have you say, hey, you know what, I need to pick up those Invincible books. Yeah, and that, that's that's definitely what this is. It's, it's a one-shot in every single way. Um, it's nowhere near, say, for example, like when uh, Hellboy, Batman, and Starman crossed over in uh, in uh, DC Comics years ago, where it actually, in the end, wound up mattering in Starman's overall story. Like it, it's not that; it's it's a side story for both characters. But it's pretty cool how it ties into Invincible's overall storyline. Absolutely, and ties into it well enough that you could then pick up the Invincible issues and understand what's going on. Yep. Even though I haven't done that yet, but I can clearly see where you would be able to. He gives you Invincible's he- uh, history with his father and how he got his powers and, mm-hmm. and and the fact that his father betrayed Earth, basically. And and as I understand it, I think that eventually kind of turned around a little bit and all was not as it seemed. Yeah, that's exactly the case. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, there's there's a lot more going on with uh, with Omni Man than than we're originally presented with. But you know, you you get all that background, and then you get how it fits into the current storyline, and that he's you know trying to tire him out and all of that, uh, and and even you know the they give you the the background with his mother, how he lives with his mother, and how what his mother's gone through, and that he's worried mm-hmm. about her now. Yeah. So I, I really think, you know, it gives you enough. If, you, if you've never read any Invincible before, it gives you a good enough background to pick up. And, you know, you could pick up the current issue on the stands when this came out and just run with it from there. Yep. So I think it does a really, really good job for, for that purpose. And I'm sure that's why Kirkman was willing to cross his character over into Marvel because his sales probably increased following this issue. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. And and uh, it's something that that Robert Kirkman mentioned, uh, you know, when he made his quote unquote manifesto a few years later about how, you know, you you work for the big two so that you can then go and do whatever you want uh, as an indie creator. Um, you could yeah, just, I, I find that to be a little offensive, honestly, though. Yeah, I know. I, I understand where he's coming from with that because he is the type of person that, you know, wanted to do his own thing, but he had to start somewhere. And you're, that, you're, that's that's like me telling you, you know, Ian, you're a young man. Go out and get a job and that'll let you buy lottery tickets and eventually <laughs> you'll win the lottery. Right. Yeah. No, because there's a hell of a lot of creators out there who don't have Walking Dead and Invincible, and no matter how many chances you give them, they're never going to have Walking Dead and Invincible. Oh, no question about it. Um, however, I will bring up that when you are lucky, uh, and say for example, Jonathan Hickman is a perfect example. Um, he was on the Eleven O'clock Comics podcast uh, a couple of months back and made the statement that he makes more money off of his uh, his image books. Than he makes that he made off of like his entire time working for Marvel. Really? Which, yeah. Which I, you says, know, listen oh, to that episode. I don't remember. Like, I, I couldn't remember that he said that, but I trust that yeah. it's totally accurate. Yeah. No. He he said like along with the you know like the Manhattan projects and a whole bunch of the other stuff that he's been working on since. Like, there's a reason that he's he's working on those, and that's because it he gets almost all of the royalties from it. Because that's the way that image works, right? You know, like, like he, he, image takes a very small amount of the sales in comparison to, you know, say what Marvel does, where Marvel just pays you for the work and then makes all the money off the trades. Oh, they don't, they don't get anything off the trade. They do, but it's not much. 
Like oh. ba- basically, basically they get paid for their their initial work more than anything else. Like they might get royalties and they might get like a little percentage of it, but with Image, they're the percentages are entirely different. They make a lot more money. But then you also have to take into account the big picture that his Marvel work is what makes him a household name, which right. is what makes his Image stuff sell. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, no question about that. Like, like there, you have to be successful in one to be successful in the other. That much is one hundred percent proven. And then, you know, the the real money comes. I would imagine. <laughs> I haven't uh, haven't done any sort of uh, economic analysis, so I shouldn't be so uh, definitive in my statements. Yeah. But uh, the real money, I'm sure, comes in when you can then market into other media. Sure, licensing, you know, do TV movies, all that fun stuff, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Kirkman's making a hell of a lot more money off the Walking Dead TV show than he makes off the Walking Dead comics. Oh, sure. I mean, there's there's a reason why, you know, Matt Fraction is focusing on on his indie stuff now, and it's because he's got that production company up and running now with uh, with Kelly Sue, and uh, which is why Kelly Sue DeConnick just just left uh, Marvel. You know, she's she's focusing more on on her independent projects and and their and their you know deal that they're working on now because they they have it going. But again, where did they start? You know, yeah, or, or why uh, Mark Miller? Every every project he works on is clearly a uh, you know a pilot for a, some for, for a movie. <laughs> yeah, which will eventually wind up uh, directed by the same guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I mean that that's. It, it, it's it's nice like when we we talked earlier about Jimmy Palmiotti. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you see the balance from him. You know, he does most of his uh, major work for DC, right? But then he seems to always have his foot in the water with a Kickstarter project mm-hmm. or or what he did with creator owned heroes. And if he can ever get one of those to catch on and become a you know a major movie or whatever, you know, all the better for him. Right. But but he's never gonna you know he's never gonna burn that bridge. And and not work for the big two. Was Painkiller Jane just his, or was that, or did that belong to somebody else? I thought that was, I thought that was only his that he owned that. Okay. I mean, he yeah. he may have uh, all of a sudden drawn a blank for his his writing partner. Uh, uh, Gray, just yeah, Gray. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, he, he, I mean, that that may have been the two of them. Mm-hmm. I had picked up. Uh, damn, I'm, I'm I'm like really losing it now. But I I bought one of his Kickstarter projects, uh-huh. and it was clearly like. You you could tell it was the same thing that it that it, it it was designed in a way where you could easily see it translating into a movie. Right. So if it I, caught on, then it would you know and and it could sell it as a as a screenplay or whatever, mm-hmm. you know then that could be leading to him to almost a series of movies because it it was a kind of character that you could easily continue with. I I hope I hope that winds up happening with his monolith character, which existed in in DC during the mid 2000s however he owns the rights to the character um so they he actually took it uh you know whatever rights dc did have lapsed and he wound up uh, putting that back into print i forget which company it might have been image it might have been dark horse one of the one of those and wound up you know reprinting that that series and i don't know if he ever got around to doing more of it after that but i'd love to see more of that and when you look into like the speculator markets and everything that's the one area where if something did hit big, mm-hmm. you could have something that could have some significant value to it. So you figure a Kickstarter book probably only has a print run of, you know, for, from somebody as big as Jimmy Palmiotti. You know, yeah. what is he going to do? Maybe 4,000 copies? Mm-hmm. Maybe. You know, maybe not even that many. Right. And then if that turned out to be a character that, you know, ended up being a major motion picture and, and that initial print run would probably be extremely resellable. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and talking Kickstarters, too, like it is it is in some way a proving zone to see if there is a market for it. And a perfect example of that would be uh, Weaving Megalocalypse, or I think that's exactly what it was called. Uh, the uh, the Gail Simone, Jim Calfiori uh, book that, that came that came out via Kickstarter. Right. That's uh, the name of it. I never read it, but I am familiar. It's it's very good, uh, by the way. Uh, and it's uh, it wound up getting picked up by Dark Horse. Uh, at shortly after uh, the, the Kickstarter concluded, they made a publishing deal with uh, Dark Horse to publish it outside of the Kickstarter. So it was in a way, you know, like this is our seed money, this is our beginning here. Kickstarter people will get an exclusive cover, but it's going to go with Dark Horse. And they've actually decided that going forward, it's going to continue with Dark Horse. Not that they didn't enjoy the Kickstarter experience, but. You know, this is this, they have the traction they need to continue it after this, and there'll be a volume two coming out from Dark Horse sometime in 2016. So, you know, it, it, it Kickstarter can act as a stepping stone in a lot of different ways, whether it be for movies or you know, continue publication of the series itself. Yeah, I, I know there's some people who have uh, taken some offense to people who are industry professionals mm-hmm. utilizing Kickstarter to you know further promote their things without. Right taking you know big risks well the the archie kickstarter is a perfect example i mean that, yes. that, that oh, got that got canceled because people were like you're you're archie what are you doing here yeah well that that was that was out of line yeah you know to to ask people to front the money for them because they didn't want to lay it out right and then basically give you nothing additional for your mm-hmm. patronizing them yeah you know i mean that, that was that was greed at its uh, finest it's it's one thing if you're actually buying the issues and you have exclusive, you know, Kickstarter covers and all that, but that they were essentially funding their books being in Target and Walmart was mm-hmm. was no, something that never sat right with me and it obviously didn't sit right with a lot of people and that's why they wound up canceling it and now you see Archie is actually going through restructuring and fired like 20% of their workforce, if I remember, if I remember correctly, uh, in the last couple of days. But uh, they weren't writers. They were, you know, say, you know, distributor people and stuff like that, uh, warehouse people and stuff like that. But, right. uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a complicated situation, to say the least. But um, it... it, it it's one thing, like I said, it's one thing to do a Kickstarter for a book. It's another thing to help you wind up in stores. That's just weird. Yeah, and at least, you know, and, and I did remember the uh, the one I got from Jimmy was Weapon of God, it was called. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I remember. Uh, you know, he, he always made a point, and I, I heard him in interviews talking about it. He always made a point with the Kickstarter stuff of trying to make it worth your while to buy it from him. Definitely, yeah. You know, he, he would throw in extra things, and mm-hmm. I, I know at least mine – and I don't know if everybody got this or if it was because I had been actually corresponding with him at the time. Mm-hmm. But mine had a note in there where it said, you know, thank you, Paul. You know, and, and, you know, I don't know. I appreciate that. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I mean, when I backed uh, Jamal Eigel's Molly Danger project, you know, I I, I knew that it was going to get picked up by Action Lab just because the, the news of that came out almost simultaneously with the. Uh, with the the Kickstarter, but I funded it because I believed in the project, and you know I was I for that matter I, I really wanted that exclusive Kickstarter cover because it looked damn cool, and I'm happy that I have it. I bought Volume One a second time and wound up giving it to at the time a my my friend's then eight year old uh, you know daughter, and and she loved it. And, you know, it, it was all about getting things started. And that's, you know, the value is very, very important with with a Kickstarter uh, series. But bring, bringing it back to 
uh, this issue a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were talking about the issue. (laughs) Um, One thing that I did that I did appreciate was the fact that Corey Walker was the penciler on this. Uh, Just because, you know, even if he was not the penciler on Invincible for long, he is still the the co-creator of the character and uh, still draws at least one issue of Invincible per 12-issue run. Of, of the series like he's still involved in one way or the other and it's nice to see him be involved in this and it, it's i'm not sure i liked his run on invincible i enjoyed his artwork on that mm-hmm. and i enjoy his the way he draws invincible in here yeah but i'm not really that crazy about the way he draws everybody else i can see that yeah it's a style it, it, it's a very stylized look um in fact actually i feel like if if ryan otley had actually drawn this issue you might have been a lot more happy with the way things turned out because he has more of a of a I, I wouldn't quite say typical superhero style, but he knows he he knows how to adapt things for for that sort of of medium. You know, it, it, it's less of an indie style. Corey Walker is very much an indie comic style, and uh, that that's sort of what you get here is you know him drawing the Marvel characters as opposed to what the Marvel characters look like. And I'm I'm just looking and. Uh... I'm looking through the artwork in this book, and I'm thinking it reminds me of some of the artwork I've seen in the uh, the newer Ms. Marvel book, what's it, mm. Kamal Khan? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's I just looked up quick to see, oh, you know, who was that? Could, is it possible that was Corey Walker? No, it wasn't. Yeah, uh, it was. It's Adrian Alfana. Yeah, Alfana. which is gorgeous. I, I love that artwork, and and it it, it fits that book, mm-hmm. and like I said, it fits Invincible here. You know, it's a different artist, obviously, but uh, yeah. But the one, the one character that I'm looking at that that I'm seeing that I don't like the way either of them drew, is Wolverine. Mm. He appeared in that Ms. Marvel run, right? And I really enjoyed that run, and I enjoyed the artwork on it because I found it to be kind of different and and pleasing to the eye, right? But there's certain already existing characters that I'm not crazy about the way it suits them. Yeah, I, I, I don't like you know Iron Man's armor as it's drawn here. I will say though that that the 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 best thing that Corey Walker has going for him in this is the art the art the art is kinetic it has energy to it and that's something that that I I love because there's one thing I cannot stand cough cough Greg Land is uh, artwork where it looks like they're just posing yes you know where like they're you, you think that uh, that they've been standing in that position for the last 15 minutes you know <laughs> that they're yeah, not I, I, I totally agree with you and there's no storytelling to that type of artwork I agree 100 percent and know, I'm right? just looking at, at the page uh, the same page where uh, they're they're talking to the Avengers not hmm. there's the first page where they where you know it's almost like a, a half splash yeah and then the next page after that. And I'm looking at the way Captain America is drawn in there, and I'm particularly looking at the way Spider-Man is drawn as they're walking away. Yeah. And they're not drawn as these unrealistic, muscle-bound people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're muscular, which obviously you would be if you're as active as these people are. But yeah. Spider-Man actually almost looks like he has a little bit of a paunch in, in that shot. <laughs> yeah, I see, I see what you're talking about, yeah. And and I can I can appreciate that to some extent. I mean, I, I, I do like an idealized look sometimes but once in a while it's nice to see them look like real people oh yeah yeah and 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 also having expressions on their face like real people have like that's another thing that cory walker has going for him uh, it's uh similar to the uh, to the type of stuff that uh of course i'm blanking on his name now uh the art the artist of uh, the waha the waha era uh of, of 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 justice league uh 
And, and Giffen, I keep thinking Giffen, but he's the writer at that yeah, point. Yeah, Giffen and DeMatteis were the writers, uh, and damn it. So not coming to me right now. Yeah. It, I, I, I do this so often on my own show, and it's so nice to do it on somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Maguire. Thank you, Kevin Maguire. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's where I feel Corey draws his influences on when it comes to uh, expressions on people's faces. Like, it's, it's very much... Uh, you know, real realistic in the scowls and and in the in the shouting and in the you know in the posing. Like it's not it's not something that uh, that you feel like uh, you know Zoolander would be doing. <laughs> and and yet cartoony to the extent where they don't go overboard trying to make it look real and right. look like posed photo referenced pictures. Mm-hmm. You got it. One hundred. Yep. That's that's just what I'm going for. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, the, and, and the coloring too. I like the coloring a lot. Coloring is is a little bit muted, but it doesn't have that muddy look that sometimes they had in the, at this point in yeah. you know the two thousand and six era, mm-hmm. which I, I I didn't like when they started getting into that muddy look. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that was big on. I mean, it, it was a great run, but that was one of the things that was a down note to me in the uh, Ed Brubaker Captain America. Everything always seemed so muddy in the coloring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think I think I'm pretty much ready to ready to rate. I think I think I got the got my my basis on this. Um, right, you go. All right, cool. Uh, the cover, uh, I I'm gonna give the cover an A just because it's it it's it does actually have that iconic look for it for me. Um, it's it's absolutely what you want it to be. Invincible looks like Invincible on the cover at least. Spider Man looks like Spider Man. He's in a nice Spider Man pose. Um, very much you get the basis of what this is going to be, that this is just a team-up issue in its finest way. So I'm going to give that an A. Um, for the uh, interior art, uh, I'm going to give it uh, I'm going to give it a B minus. Uh, it's again, it's not it's not terrible. I like it a lot for the expressive nature of it and that it's 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 fast moving artwork. Um, but some a little bit off model here, here and there. And, uh, you know, some of that could be improved a little bit. And the story, I'm going to give it a B, just because it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's a very standard setup. I'm very happy that it's not one of those issues where immediately one hero meets the other and they get into a fight, because that's a very tired cliche. And, it, and it's nice to see a, a little bit of a change in that here. And, you know, we do get enough from Invincible to get you interested in the character and want to know more about him. And Spider-Man happens to be there, too. I, I could have done with a little bit more spider-man in here but it was not his story it was invincibles and spider-man happened to be there so overall i'll, I'll overall I'll give this issue a b all right uh i like the cover maybe not quite as much as you uh but i think it's pretty solid they they really did a nice job of of having them share the space yeah <laughs> it's really half the cover is invincible half the cover is spider-man kind of just cut it diagonally and and <laughs> and and they have equal billing on this thing <laughs> uh I think both of them are posed well. Both of them look good. Invincible looks exactly like he does in his series. Spider-Man looks very Spider-Man-like. And the background exists but is muted to the point where it's not taking your eye off the focus or taking your focus off the center of the picture. Uh, I'm not quite ready to call it iconic, but I'm going to give it a B. Okay. Uh, The interior art, I think you described it pretty much the way I would. It's not really my style of art because there's a couple of a couple of the cartoony looks are a little too cartoony, uh, although I do prefer that to the overly realistic, as we just discussed. 
uh, and a couple of the character models I'm not really totally thrilled with. But I'm going to say a B, a B minus as you did. I'm going to agree with you on the interior art. There's some things where it could be a little better, but it's still solid. And I'd still say above average. Mm-hmm. Uh, story-wise, I'm also going to say a B. Uh, it, it moves along. It's entertaining. It's From the Spider-Man point of view, it's totally negligible. But from the Invincible point of view, it pulls you in. And my biggest negative about it, and it probably what drops it from a B plus to a, just a regular B, is the fact that everybody seems to have the same voice. Sure. Except for Invincible, who is, you know, that's that's who Kirkman's, uh, that's who he's spotlighting for us here. That's his bread and butter. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Now, I guess, uh, you know, issue 15, he should have met Rick and uh, gone to the Walking Dead universe. It's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, there is actually a joke about that uh, during uh, Invincible's travels uh, through the parallel universes in this story is that one of the one of the worlds you see him on is looks very much like the campsite from the walking dead and he's explaining his situation to them and there's there's rick and uh, a whole bunch of the others there too and you do actually see in the issue of invincible uh the next issue of invincible you do see the the the, the web line that spidey throws pop out of the uh of the wormhole that uh, that invincible got out of next mm. Well, that's so. cool. You gotta wonder what, like, uh, what kind of agreement they have on this. You know, if Marvel wanted to reprint it at this point, uh, you know, hmm. do they have the rights to do that? I well, I, I'm gonna assume that because it's it's on Marvel Unlimited, that uh, the rights fall with Marvel here. Yeah, there's probably some sort of a uh, mutual thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and they probably have to, you know, owe him certain royalties anytime they use it. But they probably have. I I, I think if if I were in any position of power at Marvel now. I don't think I would agree to print anything on a character that I didn't own mm. unless I had pretty much unlimited freedom to reprint it at will. Right. Because it, it irks me a little bit that they can't reprint the ROM series. Yeah. You're, or you're the far Micronaut from, series. Yeah. yeah, you're far from the only one there. I, I, I agree with that, yeah. I mean, hell, I still find it even a little bit weird, uh, although I understand why. I, I find it a little bit weird when, like, the Marvel G.I. Joe series gets reprinted by IDW, you know, even though it is Marvel series, but it's not Marvel series at the same time. And I'm not as bothered by that because that's a separate universe. Sure, yeah. But Rom and the Micronauts existed in the Marvel universe. They had crossovers with characters mm-hmm. from the Marvel universe. Right. So... That's I think that's the bigger part that bothers me that they don't have the rights to that anymore. So did Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and and on a very very limited basis, Conan. Yeah, and he yep. did he did appear in uh, what was it? It was in What If. Oh right, yeah, there was that one What If issue with Conan. You're right. I'm trying yeah. to remember if he appeared anywhere else. I don't think there were any other crossovers to the Marvel universe. Yeah, uh, or no, nothing like overt. Like there might have been a character that looked like him showing up in the background at some point. Yeah, and you did have Red Red Sonya showed up in uh, Marvel Team Up. Right. Yeah. But anyway, this has been a lot of fun. Yes, it has. I'm glad we finally managed to do this. Yeah, man. It, it was it was good times. I, I had a really good time. Me too. And I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Most definitely. Uh, I'm pretty sure I still have you in my uh, cell. Yeah, and you're in mine too. So, so yeah. So when I when I get there next week, I'll, I'll text you, and if we're uh, anywhere in 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 the vicinity, uh, at least we'll get to say hello. Yeah, sounds sounds good to me, man. I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's it's my it's my nerdvana for the week, so I'm I'm looking forward to just uh, yeah, comicking myself out for for a good solid four days. 
Yeah, it sounds like you have a dynamite week planned even before that. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I. I, I I like to treat my guests in style uh, when when they're when they're in town and uh, we're my my girlfriend and I are going to be hosting uh, uh, Comfort uh, Love and Adam Withers uh, that weekend so we're you know gonna hang out with them and go see Colbert and have a nice fun time. It sounds great. Yep. Enjoy yourself. Thank you, man. Uh, I don't know. Like when we uh, when we had the CGS guys on, mm-hmm. I sent them over a copy of the file before I posted it. And mm-hmm. then they posted it as a crossover on their feed as well. I'd, I'd be happy to, yeah. Understand. So if, if you want to, you know, throw it on the comic timing one as well, I'll, I'll get a copy of it already. Sure, definitely, yeah. And 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 for that matter, uh, comictiming.net for uh, for anybody interested. Uh, myself and my usual co-host Brent Casina uh, usually put out at least one episode a month, if not more than that. Uh, more m- lately, it's also been Brandon Christopher, but he's not actually like official like part of the crew lately but uh, we've been having him on a lot lately and, and at least one other rotating uh, person on there just either talking stuff related to comics or what we've been reading lately or news uh, actual topics our most recent episode was actually about comic book video games uh, where we talked about uh, all the different series that uh, that we played over the years uh, all the way back to I think even like Atari if I remember correctly so that was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we wanted to do that uh, topic for a while. We finally got to it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you remembered to pimp your show because I forgot to tell you. To. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fine. I, I took I took you mentioning it as my way in there. So that yeah, that no, works I'm, for I'm me. glad you did because because I would I would have felt bad if, <laughs> if we finished this up and then I realized oh shit I forgot to do that. That's uh, that's and, and, and fine, I would man. say you know I've been listening to comic timing, uh, not since the beginning but uh, for quite a while now. Uh, I had already been listening to it a while, a while when we met, like five years ago. So, yep. how long have you been doing it now? It's oh boy, it's more than nine years now. Uh, okay. I, so I've probably I, been listening to it about seven of those nine. Yeah, that's and thanks thanks for being along as long as you are, man. I mean, uh, it's it's been a wild ride. We've had multiple co-hosts along the way, but I'm I'm looking forward to year ten. Uh, I hope to put together some sort of tenth anniversary esque show where we do similar what we did for episode one hundred and get as many of our previous guests on as as I can fit into an episode and just go nuts. So uh, I nothing's in the planning stages yet, but uh, hopefully there'll be some sort of celebra- celebration in one way or the other once that comes around. And I think May of next year. So we'll see. That'll be cool. Yep. And I, I think my favorite episodes when you do them are when you do the uh, kind of the year in review and what's coming up and mm-hmm. usually end up getting Sean and David on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that those those year in those year in review episodes, uh, we, we, we we've been doing them different the past couple of years, but I might be changing that up this year somewhat similar to what we did in the past. So look forward to that. I, I hope to get at least a a DC and a Marvel version out. So I will let you guys know, uh, you know, via the comic timing page at facebook.com slash comic timing. Also, that's a good way to keep in touch of what's going on in the show because you never know what we're going to wind up posting and, you know, what, what news is going to wind up coming out there. So stay tuned. (laughs) And on that note, I'll say goodnight to everybody. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, thanks again for coming on. My pleasure. All right. I will see you next week, pal. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email 
at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.